was going into Toshi Station to pick up some power converters. The droids are clean, the vaporizers are patched, and the speeders fueled. It's time to pick up some blue milk and power converters. You're listening to Toshi Station Radio, brought to you by the Majestic Giraffe Network. Now here are your hosts for the Snarkist Podcast in Star Wars and Geek Culture, Brian and Nancy. It's Banker heading on the shores of the Great Shot Flats. You're listening to Tashi Station Radio, the bright center in the universe for all things Star Wars and geek culture. I'm your host, Brian, and with me, as always, is my co-host and wife, Nancy. Hello. On today's episode, we're recapping our time at Dragon Con and delving into the politics of Star Wars. We're about to get started, so sit back, grab some power converters, and enjoy the show. Uh, before we get too much further in, a note from our sponsors, Tashi Station Radio is brought to you in part by our awesome Patreon subscribers. Click the link on Tashi-Station.net for more details and learn how you can support this show of Dyson Droids, Western Reaches, the Thrawn Cast, and the Tashi Station Book Club. And we're also brought to you in part by Her Universe. Flaunt your world with Star Wars, Star Trek, Marvel, Transformers, Doctor Who, and other fandom-inspired wardrobe and jewelry. Click the link on our blog to purchase awesome geek gear and keep the lights running on the podcast. All right. Fixer's flash time. Fixer's yes. flash time. Yes. Uh, I have been reading Heir to the Empire because we started the Throncast, and it's I'm, I'm trying really hard not to... Um, read ahead because I want to keep going, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself and end up spoiling things in the episodes. So um, I've been reading those. I also restarted again, reading the Warriors Warriors Apprentice, which is part of the uh, Vorkosigan saga by Lois McMaster Bujold. I've been wanting to read those for ever. And I read uh, Shards of Honor and Borear earlier this year. I couldn't really get into The Warrior's Apprentice, but Tor.com is doing a huge reread. So I decided since they I they caught up to where I was, I'm gonna just keep reading along with them. So if I get stuck, I can just have the read through jog jog my mind. And I've um went to Dragon Con. We we were at Dragon Con, uh, and we were on a bunch of panels. A lot of them. Um, oh boy, is that the whole list we were on? Good grief. Yes. Uh, we were on the post-Force Awakens Scandals and Cliffhangers panel in which we spent an hour going, your Snoke theory sucks. It, it was. Uh, and New Canon, we were on those two together. And then I was on the Rogue One speculation panel and the Rebels panel, which was probably my favorite Dragon Con panel ever, mainly because... I got to sit two seats away from Timothy Zahn, and it was really awesome. Uh, you were also sitting right next to Henry Gilroy. I was sitting. I can't, you know, that that was also awesome. I don't want to, you know, disrespect Mr. Gilroy. But, but even Mr. Gilroy fanboy flailed when Tim walked into the room. Because Tim wasn't supposed to be on the panel. That's why. Um, and then you were on other panels as well. Yes, uh, I was on the Representation Matters panel. I was moderating that one in which we were talking about the diversity stride Star Wars has made uh, in sort of the Disney era of ownership. Um, I wasn't on this panel, but another great one that we were there for was the... Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm misreading my notes. <laughs> 
I was also on a military science fiction uh, diversity panel over yes. at the Stargate track. I was the space opera interloper mm-hmm. that was in attendance. Um, and uh, oh, the last panel I was on was a great uh, music of John Williams panel. Yeah, um, that was a good panel. If you Star Wars report should have the audio for that up. Uh, soon. Um, yeah, and we've got other audio from the panels we were on, as well as uh, the costuming panel that Bria was on. Uh, she also moderated the new characters panel. Unfortunately, we don't have that because um, stupid recorders are stupid. Um, but the, the other panel I really liked of the con was the military and politics panel which um, I knew going into it was going to be great because of the people who were on the panel. It was moderated by Thomas Harper, who was a JAG, and um, Janine Spenlove was on it, who is a Marine. And they also had uh, Tom Hutchins, who is a Submariner vet. Um, uh, John Liang, who is actually a reporter for the covers the Pentagon for 20 years. And then Bethany Blanton and Riley Blanton from the Star Wars Report, who are in ROTC. Uh, So people who know their stuff about the military and they covered a lot of topics that I didn't even know, like what they were talking about, like and going into rules of engagement and all that awesome stuff. Yeah, so some really great uh, panels there. Um, that, that military and politics panel especially was uh, was a blast. I'm really glad we managed to get that one. If you haven't listened to it, uh, we've got the full hour-long recording in the Tashi Station Radio mega feed. Yeah. Go, if you don't listen to anything else we did at Dragon Con, go listen to that panel. Yeah, and then, funnily enough, they Twitter started talking about Star Wars and politics. And I'm like, this is timely. Go listen to this podcast. But then, um, so if you ever listen to Full of Sith, Bobby Roberts was one of the uh, co-hosts over there. He tweeted something about um, how Star Wars, he doesn't understand how people can have very conservative views coming out of Star Wars. Do you remember exactly what it said? Uh, Oh, I know the tweet, but off the top of my head, I can't quite remember. Well, what I actually said was um, uh, there was an article posted by a guy at RetroZap named uh, Michael O'Connor. Wait, is that Bobby? That that would be Bobby Roberts. Hey, Bobby. (laughs) Hey, what's up? Just if you hadn't noticed, um, you know, people who listen to uh, multiple Star Wars podcasts, basically, I just sort of force ghost in on shows now. That's just sort (laughs) of if you you notice that I did something on the Internet and you start to talk about it, I I just show up and (laughs) explain myself. Yeah. (laughs) So you you got there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I retired, but I I still kind of like hanging around. I I saw what Obi-Wan was doing in the movies. I was like, that seems like a pretty cool gig. Right. Just sort of show up whenever you want. Talk. I, I think peace, so. Yeah, peace out when it gets a little too hairy. He's like, ah, I, don't, I have to go back to the force now. Oh, just sort of disappear, <laughs> fade away. Uh, <laughs> thank you guys for having me on, though. Oh, thank yeah. You. Thanks for coming on. We've been wanting um, to have you on for a while. This uh, Michael O'Connor guy uh, wrote an article over at RetroZap um, that actually broke down the politics of Star Wars in, in a very clean uh really hard to argue with manner and was like, there's a very clear political leaning to star Wars and not just the original trilogy, but the prequel trilogy. And he wrote it out and he made the argument so concisely, uh, 
not only did Newsweek actually buy it, like that's a Newsweek article now. Wow. Oh, I didn't catch that part. Wow. Yeah, Newsweek bought it. I don't I don't know if they've, they've, the check is cleared yet, but it's on Newsweek. So I'm assuming I'm like New- Newsweek isn't like, I don't know, movie pilot or something like that. Like if Newsweek starts running your article, it's because they actually went out and got it. They didn't just uh, copy and paste it like, say, movie pilot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or any other number of, uh, you know, clickbait site. But uh, not only did Newsweek pick it up like this has worth, but like it, it caused me to go to Twitter and ask the question that's been on my mind for a very long time, which is how are there so many hard right Star Wars fans given its obvious politics? Um, and and that's, that, that was a question that uh, popped up. Uh, and we had uh, a very long Twitter discussion. And I know you guys wanted to talk about it. So mm-hmm. uh, we can talk about it. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, so we're going to that's that'll be our discussion topic for today. Pol- politics and prequels, prequels mm. as well. Mm-hmm. F- fun, non-controversial topics. I'm not going to get Wars. any hate mail over this episode. <laughs> no, <laughs> Bobby can get all the hate mail. <laughs> we'll set up a bucket oh, no, account but, for Bobby. But he here. pieces out when. Yes. when that- <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you could you could lay a bucket of hate mail in front of me and I'll just sort of uh, decorporate. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> Uh, I disincorporate maybe i don't know i'll i'll vanish like a fart yeah. in the wind, essentially and then we'll just <laughs> the hate mail that you wasted that'll that'll be what happens but yeah it reminds me of the people who um love bruce springsteen's music and then say something like you need to stop talking about politics and just sing have you morons ever listened to born in the usa <laughs> anyone but they thought it was a patriotic song <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, if you're not at all paying attention to any of the lyrics uh, <laughs> and all you're doing is just mindlessly yelling, born in the USA, if that's all you're doing, then it makes sort of sense. I mean, you know what the album cover looks like. It's yeah. a butt in front of an American flag. That's, what's more patriotic than that? <laughs> um, and so that's all that's flashing in your mind. <laughs> Springsteen's ass, the American flag. Born into you. You're like, yeah, that's red meat. That's a, that's a bald eagle. Um, <laughs> but you got to pay attention to the lyrics and then you realize um, maybe the USA wasn't doing something altogether great with its soldiers. Maybe that endeavor in Vietnam wasn't the most well thought out and, and didn't actually advance any positivity in the world in too many ways. Um, but you'd have to pay attention to the lyrics to figure that out. Um, it's sort of the same thing with Star Wars, um, I've, I've been noticing. And that was sort of what I was getting at. There were a couple people who thought I was being disingenuous, that I was asking a rhetorical question uh, that I didn't want any real answers to. Um, I mean, those people got muted and blocked because I don't have that time. <laughs> but yeah. but there were a lot of people, actually, who weighed in from the the right side of the aisle and explained why they're still fans of Star Wars, even though the political ideology of the films does not really align with theirs all too well. Um, and uh, it, they were, they were <laughs> here's the thing. You brought up prequels already. There was a huge prequel conversation uh, the day that we're recording this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Pablo Hidalgo and a, and a couple other fans. Um, I think a contributor for making Star Wars was in there somewhere, but he he whined about it on Twitter. My my mentions are a mess. It's like, all right, you can go ahead and complain about the amazing conversations that have broken out in your mentions if you want. <laughs> oh, but, no. Thoughtful <laughs> discourse. Oh, dear. Yeah, my mentions are a mess. <laughs> <laughs> 
no, no, your your mentions are gold, man. That's my mentions look awesome. I, maybe you should pay closer attention. Born in <laughs> Brian, uh, you need to cap that so we can uh, just put that into random podcasts when we're. I am totally capping that out for later use. Yeah. But um, yeah, but what's funny was the conversation about politics that happened a couple days previous. Uh, was very even keelish, very thoughtful, very resp- respectful. People were going out of their way to make sure that you know they were understanding and being understood. And, and then the prequel conversation actually got heated. Uh, no, <laughs> it was it was something I was thinking about as I was having the politics conversation. Uh, I was like, this is going so much better than almost any prequel conversation I have had <laughs> in the last 10 years. I was sort of amazed. And I was wondering if it had something to do with the fact that this is, so far as I can tell, the first election year Star Wars since Empire Strikes Back. Huh. huh. Like, we don't typically yeah. have a Star Wars movie in theaters or about to release in theaters uh, the same time that we're trying to decide who we want to run the country for the next four years. That is uh-huh. very true. Although I guess that happened on Clone Wars, but we don't really, that movie doesn't really count as a movie. Like they didn't make it to be a movie. It was just George sort of shrugged his shoulders one day. It was yeah. like, yeah, glue three episodes together. It'll work. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone on the staff is like, ah! <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if that actually counts as a movie movie. I mean, it got released to theater, so I guess it has yeah. to count. No, I don't want to use yeah, that for my cool. example because now I don't sound as insightful, as smart as I want to. That's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, um, we're going to run through uh, uh-huh. the news and stuff because actually something big just happened <laughs> like an hour before. But uh, so we're going to run through that really quickly and then dive into the meat of our discussion. Um, as we said, we've got a whole bunch of DragonCon panels on the blog and on the feed. So, Go listen to those. We'll entertain you for a week or so. Um, and uh, if you've read Poe Dameron number six and Han Solo number three, we've got reviews and also episodes of Western Re- Reaches and the book club and the Thorncast. Uh, and there will also be a new Western Reaches going up tonight. So two Western Reaches. All right. We got a lot of listening for you. Um, really cool news for Rebels. Um, they're getting a soundtrack or two soundtracks, actually, uh, for seasons one and two. So I will be buying those. Um, and also, Katie Sackhoff said at a convention that she's going to be coming back as Bo-Katan, which is very cool. I'm not surprised, considering there's going to be Mandalore stuff this season. Only makes sense. Yeah. And um, also at Salt Lake, Com- Salt Lake City Comic Con, Mark Hamill did a awesome presentation um i haven't gotten a chance to really listen to stuff about it yet because it happened while we were at dragon con but um he's he did say one thing about episode eight that he's involved in an intense action sequence to which i flailed around the room for a little bit and was really hopeful that he has a lightsaber during said sequence because we know one's there (laughs) he's they've got one at least between the two of them um so yeah, that made me happy. Um, Adam Driver said some things about episode eight, which some people didn't like because they don't want Star Wars to have nuance and ambiguity. Um, to which I say it's a second Star Wars movie. So what happens? Yeah. yeah. You know what I liked about that piece of news? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I liked, I mean, uh, got frustrated with and frowned <laughs> at a lot, uh, is that every media outlet that I used to think was somewhat reputable uh, ran that story regarding Adam Driver and his discussing at length uh, Ryan Johnson's work, both as a director and as a writer, mm-hmm. uh, with the line, Kylo Ren compares episode eight to Empire. Ugh, yes. That's all they did. And that's all they presented it as. Like, no and- shit. <laughs> oh, man. Like, variety. I know. I, you're not hurting for clicks that bad. There's a way <laughs> to present this headline. But no, it was just straight up. He says it's Empire Strikes. Like, you cannot compare anything to Empire Strikes Back anymore. Like, you're basically asking the Spartans to go into phalanx mode. Just drop the shields. <laughs> As soon as you mention the names, and the shields come down and fans are like, okay, you show me something because now now you're measuring it. You're putting it up against the measuring stick, the bladed measuring stick that has cut the hands off every movie that has tried to measure itself against it. Oh, man. Yeah. Because what he was saying was uh, very thoughtful and, uh, you know, very insightful. He was going in depth into what what's this episode is trying to do and how hard it is to actually try and do it, especially considering the, the machine that is roiling behind everything, because obviously it's a, it's, it's a huge moneymaker. It's, it's, it's own media universe essentially. Um, and even within that, Ryan Johnson is still attempting to tell a legitimate, honest to God story with nuance and depth uh, and shading. And uh, it, it just basically got reduced for uh, a new cycle and a half to, you know, Kylo Ren compares it to Empire. Like, oh. I love how they have to call him Kylo Ren, too. Yeah. <laughs> really? And they, it brought up an issue I've had with a lot of people, and mostly it's. Han and Leia fans who are angry about Force Awakens, which I understand things weren't that great for them, mm. especially one. Um, <laughs> but Han had a pretty rough day. He had a pretty rough day. But they go off of the comments that J.J. Abrams and Adam Driver made in the documentary that's mm. on the Blu-ray where they talk about Kylo Ren's motivations and why he went bad and mention how he didn't feel Han and Leia were good parents and he felt abandoned. And they take that as 100% face value as them saying Han and Leia were bad parents and abandoned Kylo. And it's like, or maybe that's what he thinks because no one thinks they're actually a bad guy. Yeah. That's a, that's a very good way to look at it. Like if I'm playing a villain and I'm trying to find some sort of sense of justification for my actions so they play somewhat honestly on screen, mm-hmm. I'm probably going to be inclined to believe that the main characters did me wrong somehow. Yeah. Because almost every bad person that you know honestly believes they've been done wrong by somebody and they've been treated unfairly when they shouldn't have. I mean, this will we'll end up getting around to this when we start talking about politics. Oh, honestly. yeah. There are a lot of people who only get involved in politics uh, as like a... A, a method of vengeance. Like mm-hmm. if they only start getting involved in paying attention in, in to civics uh, and government, because for them, that is a way to get back at people who have made their life less than what they want it to be. And if I'm 
if I'm Adam Driver and I'm trying to make Kylo Ren a, a legitimate villain, one with multiple dimensions, why wouldn't I internalize the idea that my parents sucked? Yeah. I mean, what, like, you don't expect him to say, I had a great life, and then I was manipulated by this one guy and decided I'm just going to screw it all. Um, yeah. Like, no, because then it makes your movie terrible and cardboard, whereas, mm. you know, it's one of the things I loved about The Force Awakens is that the villain was so different from Darth Vader, you know, yeah. big scary guy. Um, and, and and also on the flip, it's entirely possible that Han and Leia weren't great parents. I'm not saying they were bad parents, but then again, a workaholic general and a uh, a, a scoundrel, uh, a guy who basically steals things and shuttles them across state lines illegally. It's like, it's like if Smokey and the Bandit, you know, like if Burt Reynolds and Sally Field actually lived happily ever after from those movies, it would be the most terrible relationship. Would you want to be their kid? That would suck. Yeah. It would suck. Like they, he'd probably grow up to be the sheriff. He'd end up, <laughs> he'd end up being uh, Jackie Gleason's surrogate kids or something along those lines. <laughs> He'd want to be a cop or a librarian or like the uncoolest, most responsible thing you could probably be. It makes perfect sense yeah. that he'd end up in the first order on his. And I don't really think Snoke seduced him all that much. I'm betting he was willing to go bad as it was like Snoke. I, my personal feeling is that Snoke gave him an out and he went for it. It wasn't that uh, he was being pulled against his will or seduced. I really honestly have a feeling that Snoke reached out to him. Yeah. But ben was eager at that point. Ben was already ready to go. Um, that's my feeling. I don't right. Know. Yeah. We'll find out in episode eight, hopefully. Hope maybe that's some of the nuance that um that Ryan Johnson is writing into the character. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and the last bit of news that just happened like an hour ago, um, the Hollywood reporter had an exclusive that um Rogue One has replaced Alexandra Desplat with uh, Michael Giacchino due to scheduling issues. Um, so right out of the way, it's because of the reshoots and reshoots are terrible. And so the movie sucks and we're all going to die. <laughs> do we get it all? Cross it all off the list there? Well, and do we have, do we have like a soundboard that's, that's nothing but flames and <laughs> falling over? Do we have, we'll add it in post. Yeah. Can we just run the last 20 minutes? We're doomed. Of Godzilla. Just run that. Just run those noises. Um, I'm happy as hell about this. God, this me too. This excites the living crap out of me. Like, with Rogue One, I haven't been hyped. Like, The Force Awakens, everyone got hyped. You could oh, yeah. not help. I mean, it was 10 years from, uh, you know, Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Star Wars wasn't ever supposed to come back. Um, it looked like all the pieces were falling into place, and it turns out uh, most of them did. Uh, so you couldn't <laughs> help but get hyped. Rogue One definitely feels a little bit different. It felt a little bit different at Celebration. The marketing is a little bit different. And not just because it's not, you know, this blanketing cloud of, of marketing. Oops, I think we lost Bobby there for a second. Oh, like no. we did with The Force Awakens. It's just everything about the movie feels a little bit different. Um, and uh, and I, I'm just a little bit more reserved than I was last year. I don't think that's a bad thing. I, yeah. No one live at those levels of hype for that. You, you're going to blow an artery like overcooked macaroni. Well, I you, think also that it's, it's, a, it's a lot different feeling, this being a standalone movie, than, you know, 
episode seven, the continuation, what happened to Luke, Han, and Leia. Everyone wanted to know that. And, you know, this, I mean, this is a good story, and I'm sure I'm going to love Rogue One, but I feel like this is, like, the difference between a book like, you know, I'm trying to think of a throwaway book (laughs) from the EU. Like, okay, so, like, Kenobi, which is a really good standalone book, um, Mm -hmm. but it can kind of sit on its own. That's what I feel like Rogue One is, whereas, like, Force Awakens is, like, the continuing saga as they included, did everything in the EU, you know, that sort of thing. There's there's a lot more added weight to the Force Awakens just automatically. Now, all that being said, this news, it nosed me into hype area. I am now... (laughs) You're hype. (laughs) I am legit hype as people 25 years younger than me say it's no irony in, in the parlance of our youth oh indeed i am hype uh and i i can't <laughs> stop babbling about it on twitter um like i i keep hearing that there are some negative uh nancy's running sorry about that uh running around <laughs> you know cheaping like baby birds in certain corners of the internet but i'm not seeing that maybe that's because i'm wearing like rainbow shaded fun glasses right it's now because i don't go on facebook y- your feed is a lot better curated than ours is <laughs> But man, like the idea of Giacchino finally getting his hands on a Star Wars score uh, excites me to no end. I've been calling for him to do one uh, since Force Awakens, honestly. Like before they announced that John Williams is actually going to do it, I was like, get Giacchino, um, line him up. That's one to one. That's perfect. The only other composer I could think of that would be almost as perfect a fit uh, would be Baron McCreary from 10 Cloverfield Lane and Battlestar Galactica and a whole bunch of other TV shows that you love. But Giacchino's finally on a Star Wars movie. And I was just talking with Nancy on Twitter about this uh, with with Mike from RetroZap. Um, it really seems to me like this could be our best bet to start getting some of those lost themes from yeah. uh, Star Wars from 1977 to get some of those folded back in. Because I know Giacchino knows about them. Yeah, and, and I don't know where I read it, but I, I remember reading something or hearing something about how Displot wasn't really keen on reusing themes. Yeah, um, I, I read the same thing. That, okay, and, and, and I mean, you I'm can kind of make that up. <laughs> yeah, you can kind of see the the angle he probably would have taken if you listen to those later Harry Potter scores because those are also very obviously based on John Williams' yeah. tones. Uh, and I and like those, those too. Yeah, those scores are great. Like his score on Moonrise Kingdom is phenomenal. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel is one of the best pieces of music. Uh, that uh, film music that I've heard in about 10, 15 years, he's amazing. But if you got a chance to get Giacchino on a star Wars show, get him, you go get him. Get him. Oh, I am. I am hyped. I'm legit hyped now. I am so excited. Yeah. Cause I, I, I really hope they do something with, I, we mentioned the Imperial attack theme, which yeah. uh, is the, basically the Imperial theme from a new hope before yeah. there was the Imperial March, the death star refrain, which is like, bum, 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 bum. Oh yeah. They use those in the, uh, in the tone poems for episode one, that Darth, yeah. uh, that Darth Maul one. That was, that's like the I mean, last time I think, I think the I think that is the last time star Wars really used those. It might've popped up in rebels once. Yeah, or twice. I mean, it's the I, freaking death star. They have to use the death star refrain, right? That would be so, I would be so blown away if like we cut from the end of a scene where they're on the death star and Giacchino just brings it up to, 
angry. As nope. Krennic walks away with his cape flowing behind him, you hear, bum, 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 bum. Like Jay Kino walking <laughs> over to the timpanis and personally kicking them, <laughs> kicking them over. <laughs> throwing other instruments at them. Mic drop. Bah, bah, bah. Like, I want that level of, uh, in the soundtrack, I'm probably <laughs> I'm probably gearing myself up for disappointment. I don't. I don't That's think what we well, do. I, I mean, and the good news is, is uh, Giacchino does have a little bit of Star Wars scoring experience. He wrote a couple tracks for the new Star Tour, so he's mm. proven that he can <laughs> blend with the stuff that has come before. And there's yeah, I, he's also he also worked with Williams for Force Awakens too. I think so. Well, um, and he just recently did uh, uh, Jurassic World. Which yep. wasn't one of his best scores, but that's still a pretty like he knows how to work his way around and inside William's scores yeah. and not make it and sound. He did the new petition. He did the new Star Trek too, right? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, because yeah, his, yeah, his, th- his Star Trek scores are amazing. As a matter of fact, a lot of the I really like that theme. <laughs> the uh, the uh, what is it? I don't want to say trend, but I guess that's what it is uh, of symphonies in cities bringing in you know orchestras uh setting up theater screens and basically playing movies and having their symphonies play the score along to the film a lot of that was kicked off by how good giacchino's score was like that was one of the first that was sort of like a uh a, a, a test run uh, a proof of concept uh those a lot of symphonies and a lot of cities got a huge kick in the pants. Uh, a lot of money came in. A lot of people who otherwise wouldn't go to the symphony were going to the symphony uh, because the music to Star Trek was just that good. And a chance to watch Star Trek 09 on a big screen with a live orchestra in front of you playing that music. Uh, and now they do it for all sorts of movies. They do like, that for Star Wars, man. Um, I don't remember if if the Force Awakens came through. I know they've done it for uh, Back to the Future. Uh, they've done it for Jurassic Park. Uh, they did Raiders of the Lost Ark. Um, basically, if you can think of a great film score, um, chances are it's either being lined up or has already come through your town if you live near uh, a big enough city with a working, uh, you know, orchestra, and they're putting up movies on the screen in those theaters and having the orchestra play the scores. And Giacchino is a big reason why they do that now. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I am happy as hell that he's getting a chance to do Rogue One. I want to hear him bust out that dun, 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 Yes. I want that. It's such a good theme, and it makes me sad because I I used to listen to this the the CDs over and over and over when the special editions came out and they finally came out with the full soundtracks. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, obviously the Imperial March is so iconic that that's what everyone goes to, but that theme is also really good. Yeah. I was hoping that it would show up in, uh, in episode three and it didn't happen. I was hoping yeah. it would show up in the force awakens. It didn't happen. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping it shows up in this one. I mean, they're going to be on the death star at some point. Yeah. <laughs> They it it would be a huge oversight to not have ba ba ba. It would be a <laughs> big mistake, I think, to not have that show up in the movie. That's going to pull at some strings that a lot of people didn't know they still had attached to their hearts. It's going to cause goose pimples to raise up on their arms when they thought that that sensation was all worn out from all this wonderful Star Wars that we've been getting the past three four years. So I mean, yeah. Whew. It, I'm excited for Rogue it One. It reminds me of the 
there are two moments in the Force Awakens soundtrack where they do a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of Luke and Leia's theme. Like mm-hmm. it's barely recognizable. And I picked it out the the first time I saw the movie and I was like, oh, it was Luke and Leia's theme. And it literally, it's like less than five seconds. And yeah. Well, I mean, and to that point, I mean, the biggest goose pimple inducing chill of the entirety of the force awakens. And maybe one of the top five, if not top three, if not the most, uh, chill inducing moment of all the entire star Wars saga uh, is when Ray grabs the lightsaber. Oh yes. A, and they use burning homestead like that. I had, <laughs> I, I almost jumped I, out of my chair. <laughs> I vibrated out of my seat for a second. Honestly, I lost contact with the armrest <laughs> press screening and I was like, no one else here is probably as much of a score nerd as I am right now. So I can't even check with any any of these hardened movie critics to see if you heard what I just heard, right? Because <laughs> I just got transported to a magical place. Uh, and then the rest of the scene played out and I was just that much more invested. And I'm, I'm sort of hoping that we'll get more of those sorts of moments with Giacchino at the helm. Not to say that Desplat wouldn't have turned in a great score. I absolutely believe he would have. But uh, I'm really happy to hear that Giacchino is on it. And I mean, he's still got plenty of time. Like you can you can knock out a really good score in three weeks, four weeks. I mean, that's not ideal. Mm-hmm. You don't want that to happen. But, but he's also got what, like six weeks to work on it. Yeah, he's got, he's got some time. He's got some time. It'll to be knock fine. There's something really good. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what it's going to play like. Yeah, it'll be good. I um when we were talking about the lightsaber cue, I I I really want to know who was the who was the person who was like we need to use this particular music mm. cue because it's not in the soundtrack. Like if you listen to the soundtrack, that was not what was scored for that scene. No. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I it was, I, it was the same melody. Like you can, the soundtrack represents what Williams. Yeah. It was oh. the same. Like it was, it was the force theme, but mm-hmm. it was, it was re it was a re a new thing. Um, yeah. It was, it was a little bit darker. Um, not, not as shimmery. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it was, it was, a little more grounded, a little more solid. And it worked in the scene, but it's hard to argue that taking Burning Homestead and oh, then God. not only taking that performance of the Force theme, which is you know transcendent in and of itself, but taking the emotions that come along with that. Like, that's the music you hear as Luke is staring at the Burning Homestead. Like, the end... It's his call of, to action. Yeah, his call to action, the end of his former life, the birth of a new one, his determination to do the right thing, all of that is summed up in that refrain. And whoever it was, I'm hoping we'll find out if when we, if and when we finally get that Making a Force Awakens book. I don't know if that's ever going to come anymore, but I'm hoping we'll find out. It'll be like a little note off to the side. I and say, hope so. Such and such said, why don't we use burning homestead here and then everyone else in the editing room like you know did handsprings and high five each other. <laughs> i know and it gives me there was ho- a cake stand and they all passed out in the in the mixing room it's it great it gives me hope that they'll do this for uh rogue one no doubt that we if if, if they do it bobby you and i we can all go on twitter and and, <laughs> and flail <laughs> So yeah, that was uh, the big news for today. <laughs> Crazy, um, and so uh, politics and prequels. Exactly what your parents always told you to talk about during Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> Definitely not at a Star Wars 
Thanksgiving dinner. Don't talk about the prequels. It'll be bad. Should we talk about that first? Why why we just have sort of internalized that you shouldn't <laughs> talk about the prequels at yeah. all? Because that's sort of like, that's become, uh, you know, conventional wisdom at this point. Like you saw a lot of people uh, during the Twitter conversations today uh, about the prequels that broke out because Pablo decided, you know, I'm going to shine some light on this. And once Pablo decides to talk about something. <laughs> Everyone talks about it. Everyone jumps in. It become it becomes uh, like a town hall, basically. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he decided to shine some light on it. And you saw a lot of people who were automatic. And you hear it on on other podcasts, even. Uh, a lot of people who will start to talk about the podcast. And it was something that happened on Full of Sith as well. And that was even after, you know, uh, a couple hundred episodes. And people already knew that it was okay to share your opinion about those movies, whatever it was, without having to worry about someone calling uh, your entire state of being into question, right? But a lot of people are just sort of automatic, oh God, I can't talk about those movies because if I talk about those movies, there's going to be a fight. It's <laughs> it's like, why, why do we do that? Yeah. Why do you guys think that we just automatically do that? Uh, part of it is, I think Star Wars, more, maybe more than any other fandom, just has this inability to reconcile that not every entry into the fandom or into this franchise is golden material yeah and we'll twist ourselves we twist ourselves into knots to try and explain away or explain all that away and that in turn causes all sorts of acrimony down the line like the uh, idea that you have to like everything in order to be a fan um <laughs> But then I think also because Star Wars is so vast, there's so many different things you can be a fan of and not be a fan of completely other things. Like mm. I, I am notorious for saying I don't read comics, which is not entirely true because I am reading Poe Dameron. But mm. in general, I don't pick up comics. Like I don't enjoy reading them. I've tried numerous times different titles there are some titles that i like and we read them despite them being comics but in general i prefer books and that's just my personal opinion um and people will be like well you need to read this and this and this and this i'm like no i just don't like them and that doesn't make me a bad fan because i don't want to read star wars comics well do you do you think that your guys is uh your guys' outlook on it is informed by the fact that you are such uh, fans of the publishing side. Oh, dear uh, God, yes. Yeah. I, like, well, it's, it, it's harder to sort of hold that uh, that that hard line. It's it's harder to make that sort of it's all good stance when you have been yeah, exposed if, to if, the wealth of stuff that's no. been on If we can't <laughs> snark at the crystal star, then our souls are or dead. Or Crucible. <laughs> like, like, seriously, the only thing that got me through reading Crucible was knowing that I'd be able to bitch about it on Twitter with people. Like, yeah. seriously. And I, like... I knew, knew early on when the prequels started coming out and they started releasing prequel books. I was in college at the time and I was like, I cannot do this because I can basically read the New Jedi Order and keep up with my studies and that's it. And I found I didn't care about the prequel books and that was okay because I went, still went and saw the movies and I loved them, but that just wasn't the era I liked best and so i mean i've always 
loved the prequels, I haven't haven't been as staunch of a prequel defender as other people just because there's other eras I like more. But then you get people who like there's two sides there's the people who are like no one likes the prequels there's they suck and then there's the people who are get really mad that people don't like the prequels for legitimate reasons (laughs) you know well i want to know why why you think it's it's harder for people who who key in more on the movies to accept the idea that someone somewhere doesn't like the movie that you like um, as it is for like, say you guys, like you guys are, are cool with the idea that someone somewhere could like a thing that you don't like. And it never occurs to you to personally invest in that opinion and, and take it as sort of like a strike against your very being, which is what I think fuels a ton of yeah. these, these arguments. Like what, what, what is it you think that sort of causes the film side to so fiercely defend the idea that every chapter in this 40 year long (laughs) story needs to be regarded as absolute gold. Boy, it sounds like we're defending uh, certain religious texts here, which (laughs) I think might actually be playing into what's going on. Mm -hmm. It's well, and it's a fact that for most of us, we grew up with these movies Mm-hmm. We didn't, I don't remember seeing Star Wars. I mean, I do remember seeing Star Wars for the first time, but like I was 11. So it was like, this is amazing. This is the best thing I've ever seen. And I didn't think critically about stuff. Um, and you hear that with people who grew up with the prequels that saw them and they were like, this is amazing. This is the best thing ever. Um, and now I go see The Force Awakens, which I... I absolutely adored, mm-hmm. but I also can sit there and pick out, eh, I wish I had, they had done that differently, or eh, I wish they had done that differently. Um, so you think it's kind of this piece of entertainment was introduced to so many people at such formative yeah. points in life, it's Whereas, hard to be objective and, about. Uh, Tom from Delray had a really good point um, when he said that people who grew up with the prequels and that was their first star Wars. Now they're writing for blogs and doing podcasts. You know, they're, they're older now. So they're encountering people who grew up with the original trilogy and might not have liked the prequels. And they're, they're saying, well, no, there's a whole generation of us that grew up with the prequels and, and adore them like you adore the original trilogy and for brian and i that's easy for us to understand because we became star wars fans because of the books not necessarily the movies yeah and you Um, you you like the prequels a lot more than i do right and i understand that there's people who came in at different ages like Mm. the clone wars but i think for some people the the idea that fans became fans because of the prequels drives them crazy <laughs> well and it kind of gets back because it's the, not quote-unquote real star wars and it kind of gets back to the whole meta gatekeeping thing mm-hmm. that uh, that re- prequel ori- original trilogy whatever it comes back to a, it comes back to folks feel so personally invested 
in this franchise that they feel that it is their duty-bound honor to protect it from others. And I will say that as a person who who started a podcast to read her favorite Star Wars books, I can totally understand where the reason to get people to understand why you like the things you like happens. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. What I think the problem is is when people won't let it go and they're like, well, if you don't like what I like, then you're wrong. Or if you, you know, like what I don't like. Yeah. And then- I, I think people have spent so much time staking their fandom identity on liking or disliking the prequels so much that any anything that comes in conflict with this this identity that's kind of gotten interwoven with your defense or hatred mm-hmm. of yeah. is a personal slight again becomes a personal slight against you in your mind yeah, yeah like what's happening here is that people are um and i mentioned this when i force ghosted in on uh, bruise and blasters but people are substituting <laughs> uh large parts of their own personality with their opinions on a movie and that's not good you can't <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, that ain't healthy no, that's not that's that's uh that's indie replacing the idol with a bag of sand. That's you can't do that. It's not going to be as valuable. Um and so what what's happened is I think on some level they sort of know that that's not really nutritious for your soul to do that. Um but <laughs> that's the that's the course that they've taken so they have to defend it. They have a they have a whole lot wrapped up in being basically quote unquote that guy. And this is on either side of the altogether artificial prequel divide that fandom still is nurturing even in 2016. Um, it's, it's a Star Wars movie. You don't have to separate them into OT and PT. It's just Star Wars now. It's, it's, we're, we're, we're going on to episode seven. There's going to be a Rogue One movie. There's going to be a movie coming out every year for the foreseeable future on top of TV shows, on top of comics, on top of the books that we've already been playing and the video games that we've already been you know, <laughs> manipulating with our hands. There's so much Star Wars at all times to try and sort of rigidly define three movies of it and set it off to its own side so you can feel good about the ground that you staked out that defines who you are as a person. All of that is a bad call, Ripley. It is. It is. But they, they, they basically don't have any incentive to to do exactly as you said, Nancy, and sort of let go and have confidence in yeah. their own taste. And that's 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 basically what it is. Having some sort some sense of security and some sense of confidence in liking what you like just because you like it and you don't have to defend it to anybody. And if someone rolls in and tries to tell you that you're doing it wrong, uh, you, you don't even really have to engage them or, you know, start setting up shop and loading the trebuchets and, and, you know, taking the belt and biting down on it and getting ready for the fight that's about to ensue. And you're just like, no, I, I like this. And this is why I like this. It sucks that you don't like it, but it's no big deal. Um, basically what we're, I was talking to, uh, to dunk from club Jade, uh, on Twitter the other day in DMS. And it was basically, this is the way that I've looked at it for a very long time now. And that this comes after, Having been that guy, having been that insecure guy who was substituting huge chunks of his personality with (laughs) opinions on movies online and trying to build some semblance of a human being out of 
<laughs> like movie reviews. Ugh. Like the, I was destined and doomed for failure. And of course I failed and I needed to become a better person. And I, you know, started to have perspective on things. And I started to realize that, uh, liking a movie that other people don't like or disliking a movie that someone else likes isn't a particularly good foundation to build a personality off of. Yeah. Um, and, and so basically what we're dealing with now is either you are cool with liking things for the reasons that you like them or you're too insecure to enter the conversation. And that's basically, I think, where we're at right now. And that's where a mm -hmm. lot a lot of prequel fights are happening because a lot of insecure people are not ready to let go of the idea that they are the opinion they have on a Star Wars movie or two Star Wars movies. Uh, I, I am not the guy that is defined by the fact he doesn't really like episode one or episode two. I am not, I, I refuse to be defined by that, even within Star Wars fandom. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm the, the loudmouth hobbit dude who uh, talks too much about politics <laughs> on his Twitter uh, and posts really goofy animated GIFs. Like there are so many other things about who I am, who you are. Um, <laughs> you guys have been dealing with house garbage, pet garbage. Uh, <laughs> You guys have been trying to not have phones explode in your living room. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. This is who you are. Like, you are so much more than just Star Wars. And you can still manage to have a really key presence, not only in the fandom, but in the podcasting realm. Uh, you can affect people's lives within this fandom and without it. And you cannot be so easily reduced to whether or not I like the prequels. Or I dislike the prequels. And I think people's predilections towards boiling everything down to that simple divide is is tiresome yeah. uh, and and just sort of pointless. I don't know why you're still doing that at this point when Star Wars is blowing up the way it is. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the like how it's doing it, the manner it's doing it in to keep going back to that nasty scab from 1999 <laughs> and picking at it. I don't understand that's, why you do that. That's uh yes, because I, I've sort of adopted that idea. And it's not that I don't want to talk about the prequels because I don't like them or because I'm sick of the discussion. Like, mm -hmm. I don't mind I don't mind decent discussion. But it always devolves into the same bickering. And mm. I would rather talk about The Force Awakens. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather talk about the sequel trilogy and Rogue One and what's coming out now. Like, I don't need to have the same debates I've had since 1999. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we can't even talk about The Force Awakens now just yeah. in a vacuum without well, it being torn down in yeah. to support something else. And it goes both ways. And it's really frustrating because I totally understand how prequel fans feel when every article has a dig about yeah. the prequels and like yeah. how people were disappointed with them. And, and it's like, it's like, OK, get over it. It's over no, yeah, the narrative is set. You don't need to keep reminding yeah. us of the chapters that everyone wrote. We were all there. We, like, yeah, we lived the, entire, the Star Wars, Ted. <laughs> the, the entirety of the entertainment media basically formed out of the big bang that was news there were going to be Star Wars prequels. Almost oh, everything yeah. that you read now um, was in some way or another sort of built up from that ground zero and we're 
immersed in this entertainment news pop culture world that absolutely grew up around covering Star Wars movies when everyone thought there weren't going to be new Star Wars movies. So we were all there. We all know. It's not like it went anywhere. We can type that stuff into Google and not only get the same articles from then, but, you know, retrospective articles looking back at those same articles. Mm -hmm. There's at least like 16 different homemade documentaries. A new one just came out. Where people are having the same arguments we've been having for the last 15 years and admitting without realizing that so much of their angst and anger and confusion comes from their own decision to personally define themselves by Star Wars and Star Wars alone. And that's what's causing you problems, buddy. It's not that someone thinks a Star Wars movie is bad when you like it. It's that you have spent so much time pouring so much of yourself into a mass market media empire that you have nothing to do with outside of consuming. And that's why you're angry. And that's why you're empty because there's a huge lack of perspective (laughs) surrounding everything else. Yeah. If so much of your fulfillment and self-worth comes from a set of films, Mm -hmm. you're setting yourself up for a really bad time. (laughs) Which is probably not a thing. A lot of people who, you know, decide to subscribe to a Star Wars podcast or multiple Star Wars podcasts are used to listening to. But I'm also very certain that a huge majority of people who choose to pass time at work listening to people talk about their favorite movies, uh, television shows, video games, um, have that perspective, have that balance, have sought it out because people like to be healthy. Yeah. <laughs> People like to have other interests and balance those interests and and you know they have that perspective and they and they want to seek it out and have uh better more enriching experiences in life than just going back to the same stuff over and over and over and over and over again. They get interested in politics and that's where it starts to get fun too. Because then you can start taking the lessons from the art that you love and the real world and blending them together. A lot of people try to separate them as hard as possible. And that's never made any sense to me. The real world informs the art. The art informs the real world. The two, when combined together, give you a much broader, much deeper, much more interesting outlook on life. And you learn new insights by figuring out, oh, this guy was saying this thing. And that reminds me of this other thing that I was reading. And suddenly now there are a whole bunch of layers Mm -hmm. to this story that I wouldn't have even thought to look at or dig into if I hadn't been turned on by this guy who's talking about this real world thing. And now I'm reading this book that is talking about this other real world thing and allowing me to reflect on that via its allegory. And, you know, it's separating the two has never made sense to me. You need the real world in order to appreciate the art and you need art in order to find the beauty and and the the hope in the real world. Yeah. One last thing about the prequels that I think ties into that really well is the whereas there's people who um want to you you remind people that there were people who did like not like the prequels because like mm-hmm. we need that. There's also the people who and this became very prevalent after The Force Awakens. After the initial, oh, my God, this movie is actually really good. <laughs> um, then there's like, actually, it's not good and basically trying to tear everything down. And I think a lot of those articles and think pieces and hot takes were mm-hmm. meant to be like, 
well, the prequels did this better. Here, or, here's my well, fifty. Here's my fifty point bulleted list in which I try to justify my insecurities. Yeah, which yeah. which people do that in real life for everything. They're like, well, this political candidate is did this and this and this so they're worse than they're worse than this one and it's just like can't you just like the thing that you like and not have to try to bring stuff down with it yeah it's yeah. so frustrating <laughs> well and it was it, bringing up politics that gets back to the conversation that we had uh earlier in the week and it, it sort of kind of came up in that panel you guys were talking about which is a really interesting panel i know there are some there's some closed-minded people on the left wing who hear that there's something to do with the military at a, at a comic convention and immediately duck out, immediately check out. Because in America, you are, you've been trained over the past 30 years. So there's probably people listening right now who have never lived at a time in which military equals right wing, military equals Republican. Right. Uh, I mean, that that entire that the entirety of the armed forces has more or less been co-opted uh you know in the public relations realm uh by one side of the political spectrum entirely and that that's not fair to either the military or to the right wing um definitely not to the left wing but that panel was great at showing just how thoughtful it's not just jingoistic it's not oh, just no. okay grunting rah-rah there is a lot of brain power on that panel and a lot of really well thought out uh you know stances uh ethos going on yeah coming out of people's mouths going into those microphones um and and i really wish that all convention panels could be vetted as well as that one was because <laughs> it wasn't just you know armchair you know military people or politicians this were people who live who live the military like they're mm. that's that's their job um yeah. so they know what they're talking about and that's you know one of the reasons i you know because i volunteered for a bunch of panels and i did not volunteer for that one because i was like there are people i know who are going to dragon con who can talk way better about me than this and and yeah, they did a really good job picking picking people for that panel. Yeah, and it's not like the, it's not to say there weren't right leading people on that panel either, because there absolutely were. Mm -hmm. No, that there was a huge uh, political spectrum on that panel, which yeah. is another reason it was so good. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, and and that the, they also had the uh, the confidence and the security in themselves to express those opinions and listen to other differing opinions without feeling like they were being attacked. Uh, or or that they were being diminished or demeaned in some way. And that's what happened with the, the politics conversation uh, on Twitter. Uh, even when I asked a question that could have come across, um, you know, sort of demeaning, like, like a couple people thought, but it was legitimately an honest question. And, and more than a few right-leaning Star Wars fans uh, came in to answer it. But, but it was something that was very confusing to me. It's mm -hmm. a question I've asked when I was on Full of Sith. I remember talking to, uh, to Amy Ratcliffe about this uh, a couple times. It was like, how can you... It's a very specific subset of fans. How can you spend so much time in the Star Wars universe as you do and come away from it with a political alignment that is almost 100% opposite <laughs> the heroes that you enjoy? Yep. Like, I, I don't understand how that works. And I got a couple answers back uh, that were just basically like, I can appreciate art without agreeing with it. And I mean, 
on one level, yes, I understand. Like a guy tried to say, like, you've seen Red Dawn, right? And I was like, yeah, Red Dawn's okay. It's it's way too long. <laughs> <laughs> it's ridiculously long. There's a weird part in the middle where like a Powers Booth is trying to have sex with a 15 year old girl, or I don't. It's really weird. He dies on a tank in in a Christ like pose. I, and anyway, I have seen Red Dawn. I think it's all right. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of it, but there's a difference between me liking Red Dawn uh, or liking, you know, Team America, which is <laughs> so libertarian uh, that it like it, it might as well be like Gary Johnson's, you know, camp. He should make <laughs> songs from the soundtrack on the campaign trail. Blame Canada. <laughs> but uh, but I mean, it's uh, oh, God, where was I going? <laughs> I got lost. now I've got the soundtrack from Team America stuck in my head and I completely forgot. Well, playing that in Brian. No, I mean I I totally I totally get where you're coming from here and it's especially baffling to me because mm. I grew up pretty conservative. Yeah. And I am very much not now. Mm. And one of the catalysts to get me to not mm-hmm. is Star Wars and its themes and political topics that it talks there and it informed and influenced in some way the trajectory I headed. So it's really confusing to me because I sure wound up a different place years down the line and, and Star Wars had a part of that. And that's one of the reasons we don't shut up about representation on the mm-hmm. blog and the podcast because there are people who don't think about it because they don't have to. Um yeah. and have and they're not bad people. They just never thought about it. And when they see Oh, there really is only one main female character in the original trilogy. Oh, mm. Padme really is the only woman who speaks in Revenge of the Sith, and she dies of a broken heart. Perhaps there's an issue here. Yeah. Um. And 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 Brian ends up being a perfect object example of yeah. how representation and uh you know outside ideas can help to change someone for what they feel is to to be the better. And I honestly think it is. And uh, I the better. I think it's extreme. Like people don't realize how important it is. Um, this is gonna be a really funny um seg or not segue but a connection but um a, a few weeks ago uh i i will when we moved to our new house we discovered we had mtv classic which is like the best channel ever and they're showing classic real world seasons which wow. uh, um so I was super excited when Real World San Francisco came on and recorded all of them. And Brian is like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, listen, this was a big deal and this was culturally relevant. And I explained to him all about Pedro Zamora and Mm -hmm. how, you know, he died right when the show was finishing airing and how they showed his funeral on TV. And it was a big deal because, you know, it was 1993. People didn't really know a lot of gay people or people with AIDS and Pedro was Pedro was very important precisely because for a lot of people who were watching MTV uh, and a lot of young people that was the closest they had to a gay it was for me I and I mean and I my my parents weren't super conservative my dad was pretty liberal but I just didn't I just didn't know anyone who was gay and I was like he you know I I loved him and I was really sad when he died. And I remember at his funeral, President Clinton gave a message and said, you know, 
no one will ever be able to say they didn't have a friend who had HIV after mm-hmm. watching that show. So point being is that you see something in a movie like Star Wars that so many many of us love, and you're going to be like, well, yeah, that's why. Why don't I? Why don't I want to see this in my entertainment? Or why? Why would I not think that, you know, why would I be prejudiced against yeah. people of color after seeing, you know, so, this in a movie I love? So, yeah, y- y- if you're capable of separating the art from the politics to that degree, good for you, I guess. But, yeah, <laughs> I I I am not one of those people. And it that's that's why I'm as confused as you are, Bobby. How do you get through all of these movies? Mm hmm. Well, and not and, even get through them, but keep returning to them. I yeah, think this keep, is the point I was starting keep, to make before I had uh, before I had Team America. You know. <laughs> yeah, how uh, do you how do you is, get through them and keep coming back and manage to compartmentalize it like that? I'm yeah, capable of it. When I watch Red Dawn, it's like maybe once or twice total, maybe three times I've seen it. But there are super right wing Star Wars fans who keep going back to Star Wars. They keep watching Star Wars. They they weigh in on Rebels. They are tweeting angrily at you because you won't keep politics out of your podcast. <laughs> and I'm sort of like, how, how is it that you keep returning to this specific, very liberal galaxy far, far away? And it's very much right on the sleeve. Uh, it's yeah. not hidden at all. No, like so. How are you? How are you missing that? That that's the difference I think between me watching uh, Rambo three and, <laughs> and larfing at the just fierce right wing Reagan era jingoistic rah rah uh, versus continually going back to Star Wars over and over again. Like it, it, I I don't understand how you can absorb so much Star Wars and not. Have in it. some yeah. way have your political viewpoint it's, shifted a little bit over to the left because Lucas wasn't trying to hide it. No. Lucas was being pretty upfront about his political leanings. They're in the movie. Now, granted, he's also tapping into the power of myth. Everyone knows. Uh, there's Campbellian myth all over the place. And we as children were obviously not super tuned into the politics of the thing. And it still grabbed us with both hands and shook us until uh, dollar signs showed up in our <laughs> eyes for when we went to Toys R Us and could own all the plastic pieces of imagination and play with them on our on our living room floor. But when we got older, how how do you keep going back to Star Wars and not noticing the messaging that is right up front there? That was yeah. that, that was the thing. And what's also confusing to me is that um, th- the folks who keep coming back to this, despite its very liberal left leanings, mm-hmm. there's a there's a good overlapping Venn diagram of. A lot of these folks who will flip out over left anything showing up in any other entertainment medium. Yeah. Like, yeah. or I mean, we saw it with freaking Ray. And, you know, why, why, why is there PC stuff in Star Wars? Because there's a female lead. I'm like, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that was politically correct. You know, <laughs> I, I, I think it's actually a really huge risk yeah, to I mean, have a female lead. And like, Star Wars proved it's viable. But like. There's some overlap of the people who will flip the flying fuck out over mm-hmm. Colin Kaepernick taking a knee during a football game, uh, yeah. but still come back to the very left Star Wars well and not bat an eyelash. And it's 
I have a hard time reconciling that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, and I, I've had someone point out to me on Twitter that you'll you you start to get a sense of what it is they're keying in on and what it is they're either discarding or slightly twisting. Like there are some people who flat out refuse the notion that the empire is not just a, a Nazi parallel because obviously it is. But uh, on a more complicated level, it was George Lucas's commentary on Nixon era Republican politics uh, and then later Bush era Republican politics. Yep. Mm-hmm much against both of those things and a lot of the politics specifically in the prequels um he was making this is part of the reason the prequels don't get a lot of love from people who uh enjoy storytelling and i i understand it entirely george lucas comes back after being completely rusty um has not been riding that particular director bike for about 20 years hops back on and tries to tell a children's story about bankers (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and and governmental politics going the way he doesn't want them to after being pretty much nothing but a CEO for 20 years. And that's why Phantom Menace plays the way it does. It's a children's movie about national politics and economics problems written by a 20-year CEO who hasn't had very young kids in a very long time. And I think that sort of throws people. But once you realize that that's kind of what Phantom Menace is about and further the the prequel trilogy itself, it's pretty clear that he's not about Nixon and he's not about Bush. Uh, And there are people who would... I think what they're doing is they're substituting large swaths of that Campbellian myth and then sort of twisting what the empire or the separatists really represent. Like if I can get if I can dial down empire to big government, if I can dial down big government to uh, uh, economic interests uh fighting against me, the common man, it becomes a little bit easier as a right winger to put myself in the position of, say, Anakin Skywalker mm-hmm. uh, or to put myself in the position of the uh, the Jedi who are failing, who I, are not doing it right. I wonder how many people right now when mm-hmm. election 2016 is going on would watch this the Meadow picnic scene in Attack of the Clones when Anakin's talking about how dictatorship is a great way to get things done and think, mm-hmm. if you got the right person, it might not be a bad situation to have right now <laughs> mm-hmm. there, there are probably a, a fair amount of people who identify as being right-leaning or straight-up right-wing who see that scene um not only don't mind the fact that he rides a giant space stick <laughs> but thinks you know what he's kind of got a point if at any point and this is kind of, a, again, this is another problem with the prequels. If at any point you find yourself outright agreeing with Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> Go home, look at your life, look at your choices. You got to self-reflect for a second. <laughs> that is not a man you are supposed to be identifying with one-to-one. Like something bad mm-hmm. has gone wrong. Like he, they probably could have stepped on that a little bit harder and made that that uh, <laughs> that negativity a little bit clearer yeah. as a to how it was handled in episodes. Oh, two. I wish it would have had been way more antagonistic between them with the, you know, the government stuff because I think that would have made their relationship so much more interesting that they oh. complete, dif- completely disagree on political styles mm-hmm. and then they still end up falling in love and 
Well, that was one of the things together. that Clone Wars pointed out to me so much when I was watching it. I was yeah. like, they, they made a solid decision with regards to Anakin's character that they never quite did in the prequels. Where, with the prequels, it was sort of like, we're afraid to give him a point of view that could put him at odds. Yeah the rest of the audience and it led to Anakin being wishy-washy for most of episode two and episode three in the prequels they don't do that like even when he's being you know rakish and charming there's that brittle tone underneath everything that keeps you at arm's length even when he's dealing with Ahsoka and being mm -hmm. almost as close to 100% good as Anakin can be in the Clone Wars there's still they they made a decision with regards to Anakin's character and they followed that arc all the way through the Clone Wars in a way that I don't think they did with the prequels. And I think because of that, his his politics, Anakin's politics in the prequels ends up playing a little bit softer and a little bit more identifiable than I think even Lucas himself wanted them to be, especially considering the rest of the political underpinnings of the film. Yeah, and it reminded me of something we were talking about before with Adam Driver and how he tried to get into the head of Kylo Ren and understand why he did the things he did. I feel like they tried to do that with Anakin. They tried to like make him a relatable character. Um, and I think sometimes too much, um, mm -hmm. like for example, with the whole, um, killing Padme thing, I wish they had just committed and had him flat out say he flat out killed her. Um, yeah. but you can tell they, they chickened out because they're like, well, we have to redeem him. Uh, in the end, can you yeah. really redeem a character who kills his wife? And I'm like, well, this is Star Wars. I get, I, get, <laughs> I, I think part of the problem there, um, and we're getting away from politics for a little bit, but it's, you know, it's, it's sort of got to be mentioned now is that in the, in the intervening period between 83 and 94, 95, when he starts writing the prequels again. Um, and you can really tell that Revenge of the Sith is the one movie that he had a pretty solid idea of what he wanted it to be. Yeah. Sat down and wrote it. That's the one out of the, uh, the the three prequels that you can tell he had a real good handle on. Um, the idea that Anakin was redeemed by Luke really started to root and take hold to the point where nobody really questioned it. And I think before 1983, that wasn't as as strongly felt for me. Return of the Jedi's ending isn't Anakin Skywalker's redemption, even though you see him smiling at the end as he's hanging out with, you know, the blue, <laughs> the blue glowies. He's hanging out with Obi-Wan. He's hanging out with Yoda. He's hanging out with me. Um, <laughs> uh, he's smiling there, but the victory isn't really his. It's Luke's. Anakin throwing his boss down the Death Star's butthole uh, isn't. <laughs> That is not Anakin's victory. That's Luke's victory. That Luke had faith in his father and Luke's faith was rewarded because Luke did the right thing. Anakin deciding to chuck the emperor to his death is too little too late, but just enough to save his son. I don't think that's a redemptive act. That's a good act. That's, that's yeah. him, you know, sort of, I'm doing what I can, what I need to. Yeah. And there's a reason he died right afterwards because right. it's a lot easier to have death by redemption or mm -hmm. redemption by death than, you know, have him live and have to deal with have, what do we do with Darth Vader? Exactly. Uh, you know, that's, war criminal. That's where I've read those. I've read those fanfics, by the way, and they're very interesting. 
I can't even I cannot even imagine because, yeah, that's though that is the road to redemption. It's not I did one good thing after 20 years of nonstop genocide and mm-hmm. now I'm a good guy. I don't think you can read the end of Return of the Jedi that way, really, even though he shows up smiling. That's not really Darth Vader's victory. That's not Anakin Skywalker's it's Luke's. victory. That's, that's Luke's victory. But yeah. in the intervening period. It's the Jedi in general. Yeah, in the intervening period, though, it just sort of got hammered into fact through repetition that it was the redemption of Anakin Skywalker. And so George Lucas sits down and writes the prequels from that viewpoint. And that's why you end up with a sort of wishy-washy Anakin in episodes two and three, as opposed to an Anakin who picks a side like he does in the Clone Wars and sticks to it Mm -hmm. and and adheres to a very, uh, very clear cut personality uh, that explains why he would act the way he acts. Whenever he goes dark side in Clone Wars, it makes perfect (laughs) sense. It doesn't really surprise you, but it's also that much more forceful because it seems in line with his character. Whereas when he starts doing bad things in episodes two and three is just, it's not, it's incongruous really. It doesn't yeah, like quite the right. Anakin of the clone wars would have killed the Tuscan Raiders and said they deserved it. They, they killed my mother. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah. you know, they, he probably wouldn't have cried about it. Oh no. <laughs> Padme would have been like, what the hell did you do? And him be like, yeah, they deserved it. What? Yeah. And how dare you question me? Yeah. Like, yeah, he, he would have gotten a fight with her like he did, uh, in, you know, in, in season six. Uh, oh, he- I, lo- I love that fight. And God, I, I, but when Padme was like, I think we should take a break or something like that. Or I think you should leave. I'm like, you're freaking married. You don't get to- <laughs> That's not how this works. Oh, it's yeah. It's not like you're in pre- you know, high school and you can just like chill mm. out for a few days. Yeah, so I do think maybe some of some of the the muddiness when it comes to uh, certain aspects of fandom identifying with elements that aren't really in Star Wars might come from the execution. But I also think there's just sort of there's a reticence to really dig into and examine uh, some of the very clearly uh, antithetical notions with regards to politics, mm-hmm. uh, because then you maybe you can't hang out in that playground as much as you want to at that point. I mean, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, honestly. Like if, if realizing that Star Wars politically is making the argument that your personal belief system maybe isn't the greatest, if that causes you to disengage from Star Wars, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing because yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of other stuff that you can engage in uh, that might actually be a little bit more philosophically and artistically rewarding. And you are preventing yourself from going out and finding that stuff and getting those rewards from some other outside art because you're uh, a little bit too worried to venture out of your comfort zone. But in on, on the flip, if you are warping your comfort zone to fit you and only comfort you and you're now out of step with the reality of what the rest of the fandom is noting and pushing for uh that's that's also a problem that's going to cause a lot of fights that's going to cause you to feel like you're being put on the out when no one's really trying to put you out they're just trying to let a whole bunch of other people in because they deserve to have all the fun that we are having you know yeah and i that's something i've been wondering of late um Star Wars in this Disney era, is it maybe forcing the issue more than ever before with these fans that this is a 
pretty liberal story and franchise and is it feels like that's causing more friction than really has ever been there before because how many times uh can some piece of Star Wars news come out and the immediate response from a certain subset of fans or social justice warriors are ruining Star Wars. Yeah. Right, and I mean, Chuck Wendig have said it on his blog numerous times that if you watch the original trilogy and you think that Luke Skywalker would hate gay people, <laughs> you've been watching the wrong movie. <laughs> yeah. Princess Leia would not be down with you burning Colin Kaepernick's jersey. Yeah, she would, she would not be about that. I guarantee you she would not. Um, I do think that there's there's an element of scapegoating, especially when it, when it comes to Disney and the idea that um, pushing the issue is meant as some form of appeasement to uh, people who have been historically oppressed in American yeah. society. I don't I don't think that's the case. I think what's happening is that the people involved at Lucasfilm, because Lucasfilm is the company that's making the decisions about their creative. Uh, yes, not, not Disney. People. Yeah, it's, it's Lucasfilm. And I think they're doing it simply because they have a, a they have a diverse power structure. They have a diverse yeah. story group. Uh, they the head are of the story group is a black woman. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I think it's because that's it's been shown uh not just sociologically but financially that pursuing uh, a progressive agenda in film uh not only gets you better reviews but makes you more money so why wouldn't you i don't think that's a disney thing um i think disney gets blamed for it because it's a very obvious change that everyone can go along with yeah. uh and, and you know you've got those echoes of classic star wars conflicts against the empire and what bigger <laughs> media empire is disney so you can see how that sort of gets twisted but i don't i don't think it's an edict from on high wearing mouse ears saying you know pander so you can get that sweet cash i think it's that the times are changing and Star Wars would be silly to not note that and fold that in. And I don't even think it's all that conscious. Honestly, I think it's I mean, obviously, there's a, a conscious aspect to it. They're not you know, falling into a trance and writing these movies, but it, that's who they are. These are the people working at that company. They're going to tell the stories that represent who they are yeah, as yeah. people. And representationally, Lucasfilm is run by women is multicultural as hell. We're taking over. Yeah, and is very inclusive. That's mm-hmm. that's Star Wars now. That's <laughs> just how it is. And, and it's think- what's going to be going forward because I guarantee you, regardless of what election 2016 might make you scared of, what might, in, you know, it's instilling fear in a lot of people. And it's a very weird time. I wish to God Hunter S. Thompson was still alive, although I'm afraid it might have killed him <laughs> if he were still here. <laughs> but, but like, I have a hard time believing we're going back at this, like, yeah. we're not going back to 1977. We're not going back to 1983. We're not going back to 1999. The mm-hmm. way forward is inclusive, is in, is diverse, uh, is progressive. And even though our political leaders maybe aren't as idealized as we would like them to be, and Lord knows there hasn't been a time in American history in which our political leaders ever actually lived up to the ideals that the, the most passionate among us would like them to have. It's always been sort of businesslike. It's always been drenched in compromise. But the idea is that we keep 
moving forward, that we don't fall backwards, that we don't regress, that we progress. And a lot of the divisions between left and right uh, are basically over at their best. They're over how best to move forward. And what we're doing in 2016 is trying to reject hard strides backwards. That's what Trump is, a hard stride backwards. Um, there are there are people on the right who know this. Uh, there are a large <laughs> number of people on the right who know this, who see this. They might have disagreements about how we as a country move forward, but they absolutely recognize that electing that lecherous, nasty, vile, irresponsible pig is going to shove the country at least 60 years straight backwards, and they don't want any part of that. And I don't know why <laughs> that rejection that most of us feel in the country shouldn't be reflected in our art. And I don't understand why you would expect Star Wars to hold up that, that warped funhouse mirror that you think it should be holding up or that it shouldn't be holding up a mirror at all. Star Wars is going to be reflective of the world that it's made in because it can't not be. And yeah. it always has been. And Star Wars is going to do its best to move people forward, just like it did in 77 when it offered up. Mm -hmm optimistic vision of hope that <laughs> give people uh, a clear I mean, path to the future. It's not a coincidence that the Barack Obama poster with hope on it is like the Luke, the Luke Skywalker one. <laughs> people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, those, those messages, I'm not saying that those messages are owned by the left wing. They're not owned by progressives. No. There, there are right wingers who believe in those things and they absolutely oh, should. Yeah. And, and of course they do. And it shouldn't, no one should be trying to take it away from them in the same way. Nobody should be trying to take away people's enjoyments of the prequels. Hey. <laughs> but, uh, but like Star Wars has always been political. Star Wars has always been hopeful and Star Wars has always been progressive. Now, how much you want to buy into that wholesale is up to you as a person. But to deny that those elements aren't there and don't play, play a very key part in why the series is successful and why the series is resonant, I, I don't know that you can do that. And the, the thing that I confuses me the most is the people who had complaints about force awakens and being pandering to social justice warriors and all that it's like okay so do you want to see another male hero go through that whole journey again or do mm. you want to see something different like for all the complaints that force awakens was a rehash of a new hope like the one thing they did different was it was a girl and that's a big freaking deal well, and, and all you, of these movies are are guys, so it's like okay, we're 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 doing something different. I don't I don't necessarily think it was the people saying we have to have a girl now because we haven't had one. It was a let's do something different, and that was different. Well, and I think you can also see uh, shades of that in how people read Kylo. Mm -hmm. And what people want out of Kylo. And I think a lot of people just automatically assume that Kylo is going to turn to the good because it doesn't occur to them that it could work out any other way. And part of the reason it doesn't occur to them that it could work out any other way is because they've been so indoctrinated into believing. Uh, and, and this isn't solely political. It also has to do with, you know, the power of myth and Cam Campbell and all that stuff. But that a bad guy can't stay bad in these stories. Right. And I think it's I don't think that's the way Kylo is going to play out. And I don't know if it I does can either play out. see that's going to weaken him. I think I see either one of two ways with Kylo. Either yeah. he stays bad forever and die, dies bad or yeah. 
he turns in the next movie and then tries to help them kill Snoke. Or not necessarily, like, turns good, but he turns against Snoke, basically, but is still, you know... Whether he's, I I would like for him to be redeemed just because of Leia, <laughs> and and really that's the only reason why. Like story wise, I think it would be interesting to see that yeah. not that redemption not happen. But for Leia's sake, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, your son's so terrible. <laughs> but there are but there are people who identified with Anakin, uh, and I think maybe they they shouldn't have identified as closely with Anakin as they did um, that are doing the same thing with Kylo right now. And I think there is a little bit of that that is rooted uh, in the idea of, you know, basic traditional power structures and they just can't quite wrap their heads around the idea that this person that seems identifiable is the bad guy. Like there's that it's again, it's that mirror. It's rejecting the funhouse mirror. They don't quite get that. What's being reflected back at them is a bad yeah, the, the white male with all the privilege in the world who comes from a family of royalty in Star Wars mm-hmm. is the villain of the story. And the girl from nothing who mm-hmm. grew up with sand is the hero. And people do not like that idea. Well, from a sociopolitical perspective, it's got to be terrifying to have that kind of mirror mm-hmm. held up to you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and even if you don't quite grasp it, like, you know, there's something rubbing you wrong and you can't quite get your head around it, which is why I think things like the Mary Sue get seized upon, because if there's something there that gives me an easy, quick answer as to why I feel negative about what's going on and I don't have to investigate yes. it farther. That's not to say someone could investigate it further and come up with their own valid reasoning as to why they think it doesn't work. But in a, a, a large preponderance of it, I find is that people don't really want to examine too closely why it is they identify with Kylo Ren more than anyone else in The Force <laughs> Awakens uh, and would rather find the easy out and say, oh, they wrote it poorly. They wrote it stupid. They came up with a dumb character because they want to pander to social, social justice warriors um, and they don't really want to identify what it is within them that ties them so strongly to the bad guy. Um, And I think there's a lot of that going on in Star Wars. There's a lot of that going on in a lot of fandoms. I remember it happening with Breaking Bad, a a huge segment of that fandom. uh, Speaking of Ryan Johnson, who worked on Breaking Bad, uh, a large segment of that fandom, by the time season five was wrapping up, completely disregarded any other character but Walt. Walt was a hero to them. And nobody writing that show, nobody acting in that show, the people directing the actors, the people cutting the footage together, nobody thought Walt was a hero. (laughs) Walt was absolutely not a hero. But you're going to see that in all sorts of fandoms. People will go in and take what they want and apply it to themselves so long as it feels good. And that's absolutely a valid way to interact with art. But it's also really superficial. And if you're going to take that superficial reading um, and then wander out into a place where people actually think about their art and try to hit them in the shins with your superficial brick bat, you're going to get some pushback. And if it hurts your feelings, that's kind of your fault because you didn't put in the work all these other people are putting in and you didn't do the reflection and you didn't do the thinking and the analysis. You just decided to watch a YouTube video and repeat back whatever someone somewhat smarter than you decided to yammer into their web camera like you're playing a game of slapjack. And that's why you're having a hard time with discussions on the Internet because you're not trying to discuss things with anybody you're just regurgitating horse shit that you saw <laughs> with 300 likes on youtube 
uh, from a guy that you follow on Twitter who thinks he's a badass because, you know, social justice warriors. It's annoying is what it is. It it is very annoying. I think that's my favorite rant we have ever had on this show. (laughs) Well, thank you. Should I force Ghost out now? Should I? (laughs) (laughs) Be like George Costanza. I'm out. (laughs) The jerk store. You're probably going to get some hate mail for this. I apologize. (laughs) The jerk store called. They're all out of you. I happily take the hate mail for that one. Uh, Well, make sure to forward it to me. I'll feel bad if you actually get a lot of hate mail. It's fine. We know. We're getting all the women and the gays and up in Star Wars. (laughs) Well, sorry, I guess not a, sorry. That's kind of a microcosm of the larger conversation we had. How are you still hanging out with Tashi Station if you're that wound up by the idea that I could come on and say what I said? I mean, we're we 154 numbered episodes <laughs> in. <laughs> we are what we are. You know what we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. Like, come on, we, we're we're not shy about what about what we put in our show and. We're not going to be just like, you know, Star Wars. Is yeah, I like that. And that's why I like your show. And that's why I listen to your show. Oh, well, thank you. That's why I'm super happy that you guys had me on. And I'm super happy uh, that you guys uh, started the Throngcast. I love listening to that. Oh, thanks. It's yeah. been fun. The, I, I realized when we were recording the last episode, I'm like, wow, the first four chapters has a lot of info. <laughs> those, I those probably books- should have divided them up a little more, but... Those I'm books are super dense. They're they like, are. A, they're like, like what is it? Irish soda cake? <laughs> yes. Cement, I guess. I don't know. I mean, something like that. I mean, they taste about the same. But like those books are super dense, um, which is always why I was like, would people before the prequels came out were always like, why don't they just make the Thrawn trilogy? No. You, you can make those into movies. You cannot terrible. make Terrible. So bad. You you could barely make them into comics. And even then, I don't think it worked all that well. You cannot make them into films. There's just the tone is the tone is too different, although it's still enjoyable. I like listening to you guys go through those books chapter by chapter. Warm feelings. (laughs) Uh, And it brings back great memories of getting lost in that story because it's an easy story to get lost in. But it's also a really hard story to try to adapt visually. And that's why the story group is so great right now, because it's like, okay, we have a story we want to tell. What's the best medium for them to tell it in? And then we get stuff like Bloodline, which we would not would have been a terrible, terrible movie, but it Mm -hmm. made for a a freaking amazing book. Yeah, that was a great book. By the way, checks in the mail for that Thrawn cast endorsement. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's it's very good. And I believe uh, it doesn't. Doesn't Michael Bowers live out this way? Matthew Bowers, yeah. Uh, he used Matthew to be out in the Portland area. Mike. He's in uh, Sacramento now. Yeah. Sacramento now. He used to be in Portland. Yes, yeah. he did. He's okay. I, rec- I recognized there. it. I'm, I'm sorry, Matthew. I didn't mean to call you <laughs> I'm used to calling you MR. That's what M- he gets for having MR on his on his Twitter handle. Yeah. Mr. Bowers. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, hey, I know that dude. And that was the thing with uh, the Newsweek article, the RetroZap article. Uh, that guy's in Portland, too. I was like, man. I need to be hanging out with these people more <laughs> instead of just yapping at them on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. But then again, I'm also very old now and my day job uh, keeps me at work quite a bit. So now when I get home, I just, I just want to maybe, you know, play a video game, listen to a podcast and go to sleep with my wife. That's, that's basically all I want to do. Watch some that's, Star Wars every now and again. That's pretty much my routine now. So yeah. It, yeah it's a good and routine. we podcast. 
And yeah. I write. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Bobby, thanks so much for coming on. It was great discussion and we're sure we'll have you back on again. Yes. To feel talk free to about something. Feel free to force ghost your way into the show whenever you want. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll, I will definitely take you guys up on that. And uh, until uh, you guys get sick of me taking you up on that. <laughs> And then I'll do, and then I'll do it like two or three more times just for the hell of it. Never, <laughs> never. And um, <laughs> if people are not already following you on the internet, where can they find you? Uh, just find me at Bobby Roberts PDX. Uh, you know my name and then the city that I live in. So at Bobby Roberts PDX. Um, uh, or you know just follow you guys uh, because invariably I show up in your mentions having said something goofy uh, <laughs> at which point it's just you can just follow me um, and speaking of the music that we were talking about I don't really plug this all that often uh, I uh, <laughs> I used to be way into hip-hop and I'm, I still sort of am uh, but once you get old enough uh, hip-hop kind of passes <laughs> you by um, you have fond memories of it and you like checking back in and seeing where it's going but it's not really for you anymore and i and i accept that i'm all right but i still sort of chase those old golden halcyon days uh of the mid to late 90s uh i learned how to make beats back then um i actually put a picture up on my twitter i saw Bobby. that it was really it's 90s super 90s it was 1994 like a, a stack of home electronics balanced on a tipped over uh dresser that i wedged into my cleaned out closet so that i could teach myself how to make hip-hop beats and what i taught myself how to make hip-hop beats out of were film soundtracks, uh, John Williams specifically. Um, and I learned how to make, I, partially just because I wanted my friends to freak out when I would play them a beat and they would want to rap over it. And then I would tell them, oh yeah, that's Parade of the Ewoks. <laughs> like, what? I was like, no, yeah, I made, I made a beat out of the motion tracker noise from Alien. You know, stuff like that. And they'd flip them out and I would just make beats for that. Um, and, uh, I taught myself how to make beats using that stuff and I sort of kept doing, I didn't get any better at it. They still sound like, you know, uh, some, some beats, some kid made in their bedroom in 1996, but now I'm almost 40. Uh, but I kept doing it. Uh, some of them got some notice. Uh, some of them went ignored. Uh, some of them got wrote about, uh, some of them got shared, uh, but they're all over at a site called geekremixed.com. Uh, geekremixed.com. You got to make sure to awesome. add the ED. There's a really popular podcast called Geek Remix with no ED at the end. Um, and it's a good podcast. So if you wind up there, uh, enjoy a couple episodes of those shows. But if you want to hear uh, me taking uh, a sack of drums, uh, to some of John Williams and Alan Silvestri's and, I'm, and Jared Goldsmith's. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check that out. That sounds oh, yeah. really I, fun. I did a remix uh, of the Rogue One teaser, actually. Ooh. That's music from that. Um, I added that Imperial motif. Dun, 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 dun. Um, threw some drums at that. Uh, there's a couple Star Wars mixes. I did one uh, that was at the end of a... Uh, there was a trilogy of albums that I made uh, between 1997 and 2010 uh and the very end of the the last album is essentially an end credit suite made out of nothing but star wars music <laughs> i swear to god this is the truth i didn't plan it this way it just happened this way it's 11 minutes and 38 seconds long <laughs> oh, that's great <laughs> i was like i'm hanging up the spurs i mean i i i relapsed a couple years later but still i was like that's a pretty good note to go out on so uh yeah geekremixed.com uh they're basically uh old school late 90s hip-hop instrumentals but i'm using tv show themes and and movie themes uh as as the source material to make these beats out of so hopefully you dig them awesome 
Well, thanks so much again, and we're sure we'll talk to you on Twitter soon. Thank you. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode. Tashi Station Radio has been brought to you in part by Her Universe and you, our Patreon subscribers. Check the links on the blog. Help us keep the lights on. On Twitter, you can find us with the handles Tashi underscore station. That's the official show account. You can find Nancy with Nancy Pants. That's Nancy with an I. You can find me with Elaine Winry, L-A-N-E-W-I-N-R-E-E. On Facebook, we're the Tashi Station Network. We're available on the iTunes Store and Google Play. If you like what you hear, do leave a review. That does help us grow the show. Uh, you can find our columns, news, and other podcasts at Tashi-Station.net. Thanks for listening to another episode. We will catch you all next time. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by Majestic Draft Productions and is the official podcast of TashiStation.net. All Star Wars names, music, and logos are property of their respective trademark and copyright holders. Tashi Station Radio is not endorsed by Lucasfilm or any division of the company. Now go pick up some power converters. Thank you.